The Guardian. Hello, I'm John Dennis. Today we'll take a closer look at the coalition government's radical plans for the NHS. The Health Secretary, Andrew Lansley, says he wants to abolish the 150 primary care trusts and hand £80 billion from their budgets to GPs, who will be responsible for commissioning care. Joining me to discuss Lansley's proposals are Dr Anna Dixon, Director of Policy at the King's Fund Health Think Tank, The Observer's health correspondent, Dennis Campbell, and Patrick Butler from Society Guardian. But before we hear from our guests, this is the Health Secretary announcing his proposals in the Commons. After a transitional period, we will phase out the top-down management hierarchy, including both strategic health authorities and primary care trusts. This is part of a wider drive across government to increase the accountability of public bodies and reduce their number and cost. The dismantling of this bureaucracy will help the NHS realise up to £20 billion of efficiency savings by 2014. The Shadow Health Secretary and the candidate for Labour's leadership, Andy Burnham, says the plans make him weep. He was a guest on The Guardian's Politics Weekly podcast. I think this is the most dangerous white paper on health reform I have ever read. And I'm not saying that, you know, because it's just, oh, it's what opposition politicians say. I I really mean that. And, you know, the moves that we took to kind of get the NHS working for patients, to bring down waiting lists, it took blood, sweat and tears to do that. Hard graft on lots of levels. And just to have this reform where you just wipe it all away and it's a great big free-for-all and you hand over the commissioning function lock, stock and barrel to to, to GPs. Uh, I'm nothing against GPs, but most of them don't come into being a GP to handle a multi-million pound budget. And uh, I just think it is flawed on practically every level and it will it will end the NHS as we know it. And that's a big statement, but I believe that to be true. Dennis Campbell from The Observer. The end of the NHS as we know it? I think objectively, evidentially it is. If We, we had the, the, the NHS run along the same basic principles for about the last 61 years. We have state control of our socialised uh, public healthcare system. This clearly will, will end at the, the NHS, in my view, will end up in England in a state of sort of semi-organised anarchy. The Department of Health will not be as much in control of the NHS as it has until now. And crucially, much more crucially, the NHS won't be in in charge or much, much less in charge of the people providing the care in its name. Patrick Butler from Society Guardian, is that your reading of these plans? I think you can certainly see in these plans a greater role envisaged uh, for the private sector. Uh, Private healthcare companies are going to have a greater role both in commissioning and possibly further down the line in provision of uh, hospital healthcare. Um, And these are changes that have appeared at the margins over the last few years in the health service. The private sector has become more involved, um, but this could certainly lead to a big expansion in the role that uh, they're going to play. And Anna Dixon from the King's Fund, is this privatisation by another name? I think on the provider side, we have already seen moves to put publicly owned hospitals, give them greater autonomy from government. And that is signalled to continue with all trusts having to become so-called foundation trusts. But that is not yet privatisation. It would only become privatisation if the assets were actually handed over. And there is some suggestion that the really high performing foundation trusts could 
opt to become social enterprises, so go and become a private not-for-profit uh, organisation. And it's not clear whether they could actually take the hospital, uh, the buildings and, and, and so on with them. I think only at that point could you really say that what this um, uh, these proposals constitute is, is privatisation. And on the commissioner side, yes, the Department of Health is going to have much less control. It's going to hand control to this new commissioning board. But I'm not clear how distance it will be from ministers. It's a huge amount of public money. It will remain highly politicised. I don't think it's really possible, as the government are trying to say they can, is to somehow um, put the NHS outside of political control. So, um, yes, we may see at the margins, I think, an increase in private providers, although this is not a market that you would want to come into. There's going to be a lot less money around. And on the commissioning side, you may see these new GP commissioners turning to private sector organisations who uh, come over from the United States to help give them support in doing commissioning. So in that sense as well. But um, it's still going to be publicly funded. They're still committed to carefree at the point of use. And the large majority of providers of care are still going to be uh, publicly owned. Well, the Health Minister Simon Burns insists that the reforms will deliver an improved service to patients. And he explained to me how provider competition will work. Yes, what we're planning to do is to increase the offer of choice of providers significantly and explore with the profession and obviously patient groups how we can make rapid progress towards this goal. We believe that choice is a key mechanism for improving both the quality and the responsiveness of services. And we want the opening up of healthcare to any willing provider, which will incentivise services which are responsive to patients' needs and who perform best in delivering high quality services and improved outcomes. The coalition government pledged that there'd be no more top-down reorganisations of the NHS, but isn't, isn't that exactly what this is? No, it, it's not in that way. What, what we pledged during the election is we want a national health service that is responsive to local needs and local commitments of the provision of healthcare. So we want a bottom-up system rather than having politicians and um, bureaucrats, civil servants micromanaging the health service from Whitehall. That's got to be the way forward to make sure that patients are at the heart of our uh, reforms and at the heart of the delivery of first-class health care for them and their communities. Would you be prepared to allow a hospital to go bust? At the moment, hospitals can and do fail. And what we will do with our reforms is give them stronger incentives to improve so that patients don't receive poor quality, poor value services. And in the cases of hospitals that are failing, our reforms are going to ensure that the interests of patients are protected using the commissioners and the economic regulator to protect essential services and ensure continuity of care, which has got to be the priority. How can patients ensure that um, their health providers are accountable? If you put patients at the forefront of the delivery of services and their interests, their needs at the forefront, we've got to help them to be able to make their choices in their care And to do that, we have got to completely revolutionise their access to information about how the health service is operating and performing in their community and across the country. And that is the way that we empower patients who then, with the right of choice, can then exercise that power. And that is the way forward. When GPs had the choice whether to manage their own budgets or not, many of them chose not to. Why are you having to force them to manage their own budgets this time? I wouldn't use the word force, personally, because certainly um, when Andrew Lansley and his shadow ministerial team 
were um, meeting up with um, GPs, clinicians and others in the health service while we were in opposition, who not only were saying, you know, we need to be freed from the heavy hand of central government, but many of them in the GP area were excited at the thought of being freed to act as commissioners in groups of GPs in the local areas. But just knowing what their patients' needs are doesn't necessarily mean they'll be any good at commissioning, does it? I mean, wouldn't their time be better spent treating patients rather than managing budgets? Well, it depends how the GPs decide to go about organising this. I suspect, in reality, what will happen is that they will join up in consortia where they will then be working together in groups, using the expertise of others at the forefront of commissioning the care for their patients. Without targets, which were successful in cutting waiting lists, how can you ensure that quality can be maintained? What clinicians, what GPs want is the freedom to be able to take clinical decisions that provides the best health care for their patients, and that was not what targets um, achieved with those non-clinically relevant targets. Patrick Butler, um, do you think that uh, Simon Burns is right that uh, this frees GPs and gives patients more choice? The patient choice thing is an interesting uh, concept. Now, what Simon Burns talked about was a health service that would recognise patients' interests and needs. Now, I think Simon Burns uh, has an idea that once Patients are given lots of interesting data about health services in their locality, and we're going to be given data apparently on things like cleanliness, on what patients who've had services there think about that service, perhaps even mortality rates, how consultants are performing, that uh, patients will use that information and choose where they're going to receive their health care in much the same way as they might choose a hotel or a, a mobile phone. I think what the history, recent history of offering choice in the health services shown is that many patients put at the top of their needs and their interests have been treated locally at the local hospital that they know and love. I'm not sure they want to use choice in the way that the coalition ministers Hope. Anna Dixon, uh, were you reassured by uh, Simon Burns's comments there about what happens when a hospital fails? I think the plans around what will happen when um, hospital organisations get into financial difficulty, which they will. Already we know that some, even of the foundation trusts, which are the high performing hospitals, are in some trouble, and particularly those hospitals who have. Uh, big financial commitments under the private finance initiative where they borrowed money to invest in new um, buildings. These organisations are going to get into trouble as the NHS gets less money over the coming uh, years. Well, it gets the same money, but it has to do more. So it's got to make these 20 billion uh, productivity savings. And that's going to have a huge impact. Uh, Care needs to also move out of hospital closer to home. So these organisations are going to have to change. We're going to have to have fewer beds, fewer wards. Some services that are currently provided in hospitals will have to close and indeed some hospitals will have to close. It is not clear from the coalition government proposals in the white paper how that's going to be handled. Is it just going to be left to the market for a hospital to literally go bust. They've tried to say we will continue to make sure essential services are available. 
But it's not clear if you're a patient that you would be getting the highest quality and safest care in a provider who's already been left to go through quite a long period of financial difficulty where staff will have been leaving, uh, vacancies will not have been filled. That is not a hospital that people would want uh, to have as their local local hospital. And uh, so I think there's a lot more detail needed about how are they going to do this in a way that makes sure that public have access to high quality and safe services. And Dennis, that does sound a bit like the anarchy that you uh, you described earlier. I think listening to Simon Burns, there's a lot of examples of, of sort of the double speak that I think have uh, are associated with this, these entire proposals from the title, I think rather offensive to many people, title of the document, Liberating the NHS. The NHS is not under any great shackles, uh, Andrew Lancy says, and uh, Simon Burns says that doctors are sort of, you know, marauding up and down their high streets, begging to be freed from se- the, the dead hand of sensual bureaucracy. I mean, I speak to perhaps not quite as many doctors as Andrew Lanzi, but quite a few of them on a daily basis. They don't generally think that, want that or feel that. A lot of a lot of this is, I fear, ideologically driven nonsense that is uh, contrary to most sensible medical opinion and also crucially what the public wants. And it's not clear to me that uh, this will reduce bureaucracy anyway. To a certain extent, I think there will be an overall reduction in bureaucracy. I think that's undeniable. But I think, uh, for example, setting up the NHS board, there will also be 10 regional arms of it effectively well we already have 10 strategic health authorities which are being abolished with you know billions of pounds of redundancy payments to come for that uh, potentially uh, so you're potentially replicating one set of bureaucracy with another we don't yet know fully how the consortia particularly under sort of their management advisors potentially private companies will work but yes there will still be sort of layers of bureaucracy which uh, you know will arguably know better than the ones we have at the moment and uh, Anna Dixon what did you think about the proposal to scrap NHS targets it's clear that under the Labour government the target targets were one of the main drivers for reducing waiting times. There were lots of other reasons. They did put more money in and they created a a payment which encouraged hospitals to do more. But uh, at the end of the day, I think most uh, NHS managers and those uh, academics who've looked at the evidence would say that uh, targets have played an important role in driving down waiting times. I think that they will need ways, certainly the commissioning board and commissioners will need ways of seeing whether organisations are delivering good care. And that will mean continuing to ask for data to measure things like waiting times. And uh, But there is a real risk that if we just leave it to um, patients to complain when they see that waiting times are rising, that uh, it won't stop that happening. And so I think there is a risk that when these things, the um, the targets are removed, I think it, the, the immediate response of the health service, unfortunately, is to say, OK, well, we don't have to do that anymore. And uh, so I do I do think we, we still will need certain measures in the system. And so I think the rhetoric to say we're abolishing targets, what we're abolishing is the mechanisms by which those are observed and managed from the top down. But it doesn't mean to say that these are not still very important things and they're important things that we need to hold these organisations to account for delivering. They're not scrapping all the targets anyway. The one that is going that was high profile was that the 18 weeks from the point at which you referred by your GP to being treated which you know has been a major focus for the NHS to meet that target and and frankly managers jobs were on the line if they didn't so this became an overriding priority and you know in some organizations that may have distorted the focus away from other aspects of quality and safety and it's really important that the leaders of 
NHS hospitals, the boards, are focused on a whole range of both financial quality, safety and patient experience measures to make sure that their organisation is delivering. We don't want the repeats of of things that were going on in Mid-Staffordshire where there were severe failings in care that the board themselves were not aware of and, and not dealing with. So I think first and foremost, it has to be the boards who are on top of this data and they need to be held account. And anything that distorts that focus to just focus on one aspect of healthcare you know, could be argued to be a, a bad thing, but taking away everything all at once, I, I think, um, is not is not uh, sensible. I mean, Patrick Butler, at the end of the day, accountability is, is more important than structure. I think both are important. I think the accountability question raised by uh, this white paper is a very interesting one. What the white paper appears to to do is to say that the Secretary of State for Health is responsible for setting broad strategy for the health service, but the commissioning of health services and the provision of health services happens out there in localities uh, through hospitals, which are foundation hospitals running themselves, and through uh, local commissioning boards. Now, what Lansley, Andrew Lansley, the Health Secretary, appears to be saying is that if something goes wrong in the health service, then it's nothing to do with me. And to be, I don't think that there are many members of the public who believe that the Secretary of State is not responsible for something that goes wrong in a hospital. And I think the tension uh, in, in terms of accountability between what Andrew Lansley would like to do and what the public feel he ought to be doing is too great. The same goes with closure of hospitals. I suspect that as a result of uh, the market reforms that this white paper proposes, there will be closures of hospitals, there will be closures of wards, there will be various attempts to reorganise hospital care. Much of this is political dynamite, isn't it? Well, it is political dynamite. We saw this before the election. Uh, just before the election. My Particularly lo- for the Tories. Well, my local hospital in, uh, in North Islington, the Whittington, uh, was set to lose its uh, A&E department a few days before the election. The then Health Secretary, Andy Burnham, decreed that these plans would be halted. And in fact, Andrew Lansley declared that there would be a moratorium if he was elected, there would be a moratorium on hospital closures. Uh, and that, that basically any plans that were currently in place to, to go ahead with hospital reorganisation would now be put on hold. Now, um, it's not clear to me that you can have it both ways if you're Andrew Lansley. You can't say, I'm going to stop you closing hospitals and at the same time say, it's up to you, you go ahead, you do locally uh, what's best for your patients. And, uh, I mean, Burnham can't have it both ways either, can he, Dennis? I mean, uh, you know, he may be weeping at these plans, but really they're just pushing forward uh, things that are in train under Labour. Well, I think to some extent that's right, but also in the la- in the year or so before the election, uh, Andy Burnham gave a series of very thoughtful speeches on both the, the, the his ambition to, if Labour were re-elected, to see the NHS go from, from good to great, uh, to become you know world-class in many things. Uh, he gave a very thoughtful speech a few months ago on the future of public health, uh, you know, a particularly incendiary area of health policy. And, you know, the, much of what Labour was doing was underpinned by what Lord Darcy in his, in his uh, series of reports had arguments for the absolute emphasis on, you know, driving up clinical standards, improvements of performance allied to patient safety. Much of that, I think, uh, yes, to an extent, some of the, the basic foundations of what Lansley is now taking forward were set and trained by Labour, but no one ever, th- and I don't think any most rational people ever thought they would be used or abused, arguably, in this way. This white paper, if it's implemented, if it gets through, will utterly change the British people's relationship with their NHS and NHS, crucially NHS relationship with the government. 
the people may not like it. Anna Dixon, you touched on this earlier, but I mean, to, to wrap up, do you think that the spending constraints on the NHS could mean that this white paper can't really be implemented at all. Well, I think that's the thing that's going to make the most difference to patients. It's not this white paper proposal. It is the funding. And uh, we know that it's going to result in changes in care. The NHS has enjoyed over the last 10 years one of the quickest growth in spending. It's now going to see historically its lowest period of growth. That will feel different. It will feel different in terms of the staff, the facilities. It will probably affect how long they wait for care. It will mean that decisions about um, what what treatments are funded on the NHS may may get more uh, difficult. Um, Nobody likes the word particularly politicians rationing but uh, we we may we may we may see more of that now the the thing is will gps be the ones taking those decisions and so there is there is a bit of a question mark about whether gps at this particular point in time will be wanting to take on responsibility for commissioning because it's them who are going to have to be making these decisions uh, maybe it's more palatable for patients if they think gps are making them than people in the primary care trusts but it doesn't make those decisions any easier to take and it's that that's going to be affecting the nhs and i don't think these proposals which were uh, very similar i mean some differences to proposals that the Conservatives set out uh, several years ago, they have not been fundamentally rethought in the light of the uh, productivity challenge that the NHS faces. And I think that is one of the key tests for these reforms. And I'm not sure that it's going to pass that test. Anna Dixon from the King's Fund, Dennis Campbell and Patrick Butler, many thanks for joining us. Guardian Daily was produced today by Rob Kahn, Phil Maynard and Ian Chambers. My name's John Dennis. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.